Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.50 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the seventh day of the third month, 2023. This is episode 684 of Bitcoin. And uh, looks like Pal pulled the plug on uh, all of our hopes and dreams yesterday or very early this morning. I don't know, but it's caused a price drop uh, precipitously in the price of Bitcoin, of course. And everything else, shiny metal rocks, uh, did not escape the carnage. Now, beyond that, looks like the uh, FTX debtors are really pissed off at Grayscale. So, Digital Currency Group, (coughs) which is sort of the umbrella, almost every single one of their units is in trouble. Okay? Let's just get the bad news out of the way first. And it's honestly... It depends on your perception and your perspective. Is it bad news? In my opinion, it is not. The forest fire must continue to burn so that new life can come into the ecosystem. Nobody likes it when I say ecosystem, but in my opinion, ecosystem actually is a word that makes a shit ton of sense when it comes to talking about almost anything in the world. War machines are an ecosystem. Logistics structures behind UPS are an ecosystem, right? Why? Because they have living creatures that are interacting with it. And it provides a system in which to function, or at least a system in which to be dysfunctional, depending again upon your perspective and your perception. Now, I do believe it needs to all burn down, but there's other fish to fry. Canaan's in the news. They've got like a revenue drop that's pretty precipitous. Uh, we're going to talk about five cities for Bitcoin, where you want to live, or at least where you want to go hook up with other Bitcoiners. So that might be interesting. Uh, China going to make some changes in their regulatory stuff. And Coinbase CEO is announcing that they're probably going to be KYC compliant on uh, their layer two thing that came out a couple of weeks ago. We're going we're gonna to do all that and, and a little bit more. But first, but first, we're going to start with Texas Slim. Texas Slim has left down under and is now in Thailand. Okay. So if you're like wondering where the hell Texas Slim is, he is now in Thailand. Uh, this was a tweet. I'm not going to play it, but basically it's, uh, let's see, yesterday... At 11.18, I presume Pacific Standard Time because Twitter is, yeah, it knows what time zone I'm in, or at least I'm supposed to tell it what time zone I'm in, but I gather that they're probably monitoring IP and would already know what my time zone is anyway. In either event, uh, Texas Slim says, Bangkok, Thailand, yeehaw! Beef Initiative is an international mission type thing, you know? And he's got a little video where it shows the plane. He's got like a video monitor on the back of his seat and it, there's a camera on like the tail of the plane that shows the plane landing, which is actually kind of cool. But if you're wondering, he is now on uh, onto his second leg, I suppose is what he would call it, of the Beef Initiative World Tour. Now, for the rest of the news, we've got... Bitcoin slides to 22,000 as Powell warns on inflation. It looks like their shit isn't working, but Stephen Alfer has this brief from Coindesk, tells us more about it. Inflationary pressures are running higher than expected. Oh my God, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said in prepared remarks before the United States Banking or Senate Banking Committee on Tuesday. 
Bitcoin fell about 1.6% to below 22,000 in the immediate aftermath of the release of the remarks. The price has bounced a bit, recently trading at $22,100, while the S&P 500 was down 0.75%. Quote, this is from Powell. The data from January on employment, consumer spending, manufacturing production, and inflation have partly reversed the softening inflation trends. Oh, so your shit's not working, pal. I can't imagine why. Oh, well. While allowing that unseasonably warm weather in January might be responsible for the higher than expected inflation figures, Powell said the process of returning inflation to the Fed's target of 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. That's not all, he said. Okay, so that's the end of this article. But he, uh, hint, he also hinted at a higher rate hike this next uh this next fomac yep so they you know kashkari and all those guys they were going yeah we're thinking it's going to be lower and what happened the market's all bumped they all got a big old bump because it was, they weren't going to rate they weren't going to rate uh hike the rates as far as people thought yeah bait and switch brother bait and switch now it looks like it's going to be higher than the 0.25, possibly higher than the 0.5 uh, percentage points or the 50 bips that Kashkari and all of them were talking about right after the last FOMAC meeting. You can't, you just can't trust these guys. Now, I will give it to them that perhaps they were really having the intention of not hiking rates as far as they are probably going to hike them this time. It does not matter because the monster that they've unleashed, the Kraken as it does its thing, is so lethal and so rambunctious and so out of control that these guys, when you call down the thunder, watch out for the lightning because, you know, that shit will hit your ass like a son of a bitch. And it looks like that's what, to me, that's probably what happened. They probably had every intention of not good. They were, oh, this will work. And we're just going to do, you know, 25 bips or 50 bips. We're not going to do 75 or anything like that. No, 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 no. But what they've, what they've manufactured for the world is completely out of control. And I just don't see any other out than buying Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin. Now, some people are pissed at Grayscale, as you might imagine. I don't know how many... Uh, days it's been since Grayscale has continued to own like owe a billion dollars to people, but this is probably part of it. FTX debtors sue Grayscale Investments and its executives. Ooh, looks like they're personally named. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. Alameda Research Limited, the hedge fund belonging to the disgraced ex-billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried is suing Grayscale Investments, LLC, its CEO, Michael Schoenenschein, or however you pronounce his name, and its owners, Digital Currency Group, and Barry Silbert as a debtor affiliate of FTX. Oh, oh, oh. According to a press release announcing the lawsuit, FTX debtors are seeking injunctive relief to unlock $9 billion or more in value for shareholders of the Grayscale Bitcoin and Ethereum Trusts and realize over a quarter billion dollars in asset value for the FTX debtors, consumers, and creditors. We've got to pause and pull that one apart. They're talking about liquefying, at least partially, the Bitcoin, the grayscale Bitcoin and shitcoin one, otherwise known as Ethereum. We might as well say the name right now. They're talking about liquidating either partially or fully, and probably partially, the trusts. Which means that if you're like a shareholder of the trust and you have nothing at all to do with FTX, it looks like you might be a creditor. It looks like you might be a creditor, which means that you don't have a call on that Bitcoin. You'll have to stand in line. Now, take what I just said with every grain of salt that you can, right? Because we don't really know yet. I'm sure details are forthcoming. But when they say that they want to unlock $9 billion or more in value for shareholders of the Grayscale Bitcoin and Ethereum Trust and realize over a quarter billion dollars in asset value for the FTX debtors, customers, and creditors. That just screams that 
Wow. When I said the forest fire needs to continue to burn, it looks like somebody just airdropped about 50,000 metric tons of dry wood on this fire. Now, again, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but let's continue. The release describes how Grayscale has extracted more than 1.3 billion in management fees while violating trust agreements. In addition, the complaint alleges that Grayscale has for years hidden behind contrived excuses to prevent shareholders from redeeming their shares with the firm's actions having resulted in shares trading at 50% discount to NAV, otherwise known as net asset value. Quote, if Grayscale reduces, reduced its fees and stopped improperly preventing redemptions, the lawsuit alleges, the FTX debtor's shares would be worth at least $550 million, approximately 90% more than the current value of the FTX debtor's shares today. Grayscale has faced mounting pressure to make structural changes to the trust, including Valkyrie Investments seeking to take the reins of said trust. Grayscale CEO Michael Schoenenschein, who also stated in a letter to investors that should the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust fail to convert into an exchange-traded fund, potential moves could include a tender offer of 20% of the $10.7 billion trust. As for FTX, which went bankrupt in November of 2022, the quest to reacquire funds that could potentially rectify creditors goes on. Quote, we will continue to use every tool we can to maximize recoveries for FTX customers and creditors, stated John J. Ray III, CEO and Chief Restructuring Officer of the FTX debtors. Quote, our goal is to unlock value that we believe is currently being suppressed by grayscale self-dealing and improper redemption ban. FTX customers and creditors will benefit from additional recoveries along with other Grayscale trust investors that are being harmed by Grayscale's actions. Ladies and gentlemen, not only is this a Hail Mary pass, but it may actually work. It may actually work because this, this notion that Grayscale um, is improperly preventing redemptions has been kind of, it's not really a trope or a meme or anything like that. It's just been on the lips of people for a long time, except that as far as I know, and I very might, very well might be wrong. Okay, guys, I, I reserve that right. But you, when you signed up for the Grayscale Trust and you bought shares, you kind of knew the redemption rules, didn't you? Didn't you? So now it, the Hail Mary part of this is proving that that is not the case, or at least that's what it seems to me. If John J. Ray and the debtor class over at FTX and Alameda can prove that in fact, Grayscale Trust misled their investors about when and how they could redeem or if they could redeem at all under whatever circumstances that they signed up for was in fact, they were in fact misleading their, their customers, then they can break that trust. That could happen. And John J. Ray isn't somebody to be toyed around with. He's, he's dude, he's, this is not his first rodeo. He restructured Enron. If you did not know that, John J. Ray III was the chief restructuring officer or whatever they called it at the time when Enron collapsed. Enron, people, Enron. This is one of the largest restructuring deals on the face of the planet, one of the largest bankruptcies ever. And he was the guy. I would be very, 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 I would watch this very carefully is what I'm saying. I'm not worried because I, I still hold by my initial statements that this whole forest fire needs to continue to burn until all of the dead wood is out of it. And all the trees that are going to die and get burned down by the, infl in, the insane amount of heat generated by all the dead wood and fuel that's collected because of apathy and greed, they all need to die. There will be trees in that forest that stand strong. There will be. The problem is, is that the aftermath of every forest fire makes everything look like a moonscape. And it's hard to lay, lay your eyes on. Ask me how I know. Oh, 
You ask me how I know? I, I know because one of my favorite places in southern uh, southwestern Colorado in the San Juan Mountains, not the whole mountain range, but this little section of it, burned almost to the ground. I mean, a, like a, not an ancient forest, but a thick, deep, dark, wonderful, beautiful, you know, tree-clothed hills and just got wasted. The, you know, the, the lake, the surrounding lakes were completely drained with the amount of water being taken from them to fight this fire. So when I went the summer, it was the sun that burned in the summer and I came at the very end of it, shit was actually still smoldering and there was ash everywhere. And that was when I brought my girl, then girlfriend, now wife up to, for her to see this, this beautiful place that I kept describing to her that how wonderful it was and this and that. And it was like the greatest thing. It was like me or trying to orange pill somebody. And then I bring them to this moonscape, this wasteland. She learned to fall in love with it as it, as the years went by, we keep going back because we own property up there and I'm not about to sell it. And now she loves it. And now you, but you can still see the scars. What I'm saying is grayscale is one of the, it's one of the biggest trees, but it's got a lot of woodpecker holes in it, man. And woodpecker holes are one of the things that lets you know that you've got an insect infestation on that tree. And when the woodpeckers get done with it, pretty much that tree is toast. You know, the, it, between the insects and the, the, the woodpeckers and driving the holes and causing wounds, bacterial and fungal infections get in. And that, that tree is pretty much done for. I don't think grayscale survives. I don't think digital currency group survives. So just understand that. Be aware, don't freak out, but understand that this kind of has to happen. Let's see. Oh, I got an error 404 on a page. Okay, <clears throat> pivoting. It's the pivot. We're going to do boostograms because I have some. And yet another thank you to all the crew out there that took me from placeholder number 14 to placeholder nine in the top 10 charts on fountain.fm. As of this morning, I've been bumped up from place nine to number eight. Holy smokes. And it's because of you guys like coin laughs who boosted 101,001 Satoshis. Holy shit. Value for value or bust. I'm finally getting into it. Thanks for setting the table so nicely, DB. <clears throat> That's my initials. Explain to people how they can list pod 2.0s at the root level over RSS and how it's a people's pod protocol for artists, pleb creators, local media, and the final boss. Mass Fiat Media, that being the final boss. <laughs> watched, I watched Robert Wiley's great talk on multi, uh, music casting. Wavelake looks promising for value for value Spotify. Uh, we have, and we have Noster. All of these protocols intersect, that's an important word. All, all of these protocols intersect with the internet's native money. Bear market is lit. Yeah, CoinLaughs makes some really good points. All this stuff is, is more interconnected than I think we, we really know. This goes back to my theory of fungal hyphae in soil and different species being able to talk to each other and not only talk to each other, to literally fuse with each other Except in nature, that can't happen because their genetics are so different. We have a chance to be able to do that exact same thing, have things that are seemingly have a different genetic code, yet since there's this one thing in common, and that would be Bitcoin, whether through key sends or zaps or LNURLs, it doesn't really matter. The base layer is the money that if we, if your genetics can communicate with that base layer money, then your genetics can communicate with any other genetics that use that base layer money because you're using the base layer as a conduit of communication. Now, his statement here is he wants me to explain something. Uh, explain to people how they can list pod 2.0s at the root level over RSS and how it's a people's pod protocol. Okay. I think what he's saying is how, how do you, like, if you've got a podcast, how the hell do you get to podcasting 
Sure, you can go get the app from newpodcastapps.com or, you know, well, rather not or. Actually, there's a couple, there is ors, there's other places. But let's say you get a newpodcastapps.com. Oh, hey, look, here's a podcasting 2.0 app. Surely this will, this will cause my app to, or my podcast to be able to be podcasting 2.0 initiated. Yeah, nope, no, it won't. What you have to do where it, you have to look at the, the here he says root level. And yes, like my hosting company that I use is what SoundCloud. It's not really designed to be a podcasting thing, but you know, I, I use it and it seems to work. They deliver me an RSS feed. And the way that I get that is I go to my settings and let's, let's, let's see, might as well, since we're here and doing it all, I'll go over here to settings uh, and I'm on soundcloud.com. And then I say, so I've got account, content, notification, streaming. Let's try content. Oh, there and there it is. My RSS feed is given to me right here. And the, you know, it, it ends in .rss. So what is an RSS feed? Share your uploads with an RSS feed to enable your listeners to, to subscribe in podcasting apps. All right, so the way it works is that once I've got my, my host set up here at SoundCloud, they give me an RSS feed. That RSS feed is then blasted out to all the podcasting indices. And various indices are used by various podcasting apps to pick up podcasts. They say, well, what, can I, what podcast can I pick up? And then the podcast app says, well, I don't know. Let's go look at our inventory. And that's when you, so when you search for a podcast, it's searching for the RSS feed in the index. That's legacy. Now the podcasting 2.0, which, you know, I hope supplants the legacy podcasting thing still uses an RSS feed. And it's the same one that's generated from your hosting platform. You take that RSS feed, you go over to podcast index. What is it? Podcastindex.com. I need to do a whole show on this. Uh, kind of index. Uh, let's see what it is here. Podcastindex.org. <clears throat> Podcastindex.org. And that's, and like I said, I don't have time now, but that's where you put in your legacy RSS feed and you provide them a lightning node address, whether yours or your friends or whatever. Then they reshape the whole RSS feed to function as, a, as an RSS feed that anybody can, you know, <clears throat> that any podcasting 2.0 app can understand. And it doesn't matter where, what app, if it's podcasting 2.0 enabled, it will pick up my podcast that has been reformatted with my lightning node address into its index. So when you search for Bitcoin and, and it comes up and you subscribe to it and you start streaming me sats, you don't have to do anything. It goes right to my node because the address of my node is part of the RSS feed. It can't be simpler. It just can't be any simpler. So uh, coin laughs for the 100,000 Satoshi boost, dude, man, I think that might be the one of the, that's one of the biggest boosts that I've ever gotten. Thank you. And Dale Jr. with 20,000 sats says, happily spreading V4V, Nick underscore dose 1369 says, cheers. And then Bubba with a string of 1,000 Satoshi boosts says game fucking a all its algos chart fountain the with fuck. <laughs> Each one of those words is a thousand Satoshi boost. That's a lot of Satoshis. Thank you, Bubba. I appreciate that. Fatoshi 221 says boo. Nick underscore dose with 220 says Oost, oost. I got the oost. Uh, Two hundred ten sats from uh, Joseph Joey Joe. Burn, baby, burn. Burn it to ash. Bitcoin is biochar. Gonna soak everything up. Fuck yeah, boy. There, that's a lot to unpack. We won't do it here, but he understands. Uh, Joseph Joey Joe actually gets it in in more ways than one. Blizza with two hundred sats says, "Here's my five cent contribution. If half the listeners." donated five cents each, many creators would create content exclusively on value for value platforms and help to usher in a Bitcoin world. He ain't lying. 
That's exactly right. If I could get 100,000 people to boost me five cents a day, you have any idea? That's like, that's well over a house payment. I'm telling you, man, this is the way that we got to go. Because as long as we're, you know, taking advertising dollars from, let's say, Pfizer, we're, you know, we're feeding that beast. We have to starve all these beasts. And hopefully we can drive them into the center of this massive forest fire that's burning. So they all burn down with it. Last one, Nick underscore dose 169 says, we have to make sure you're not behind a Cardano podcast in the hot shows list. Dude, that was just embarrassing. Being behind a Cardano podcast. Oh God, it, it hurt. It hurt so bad. Now let's get back to the news, shall we? I have no idea what this uh, Bitcoin Magazine one was. Although I got my stuff up in Obsidian. Which, could it be? Uh, see if this one comes up. No. Okay. What it was. I'll tell you what the, what the uh, headline was. White House will continue monitoring Silvergate Bank uh, reports, press secretary, uh, something. So the, the White House is, is personally the White House. The United States White House, the residence of the president of the United States is going to monitor Silvergate bank reports. Hmm. Isn't that interesting that the White House is going to do that? Not DOJ, not Treasury, not the Fed. No, no, no. The White House. Again, the fire is the fire is raging. This is the second part of the hurricane. And we're deep into it right now. This is the second part of the hurricane that came or basically started with the Terra Luna crash. The center of that center of that part of the storm was the FTX uh, and Alameda stuff. Then we had the eye of the storm and everything calmed down. We are now on the other side of that storm and we're in the center of it because when the White House themselves says that it's important enough for them to monitor Silvergate Bank, you know, shit's afoot. So just, you know, honestly, be aware, ladies and gentlemen, be aware. Uh, let's see. Bitcoin ASIC manufacturer Canaan saw an 82% revenue drop in quarter four. Zhu Sun, uh, Zhu Wan Sun from Cointelegraph. According to a new filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission on March the 7th, Canaan, a Chinese Bitcoin miner and manufacturer for application-specific integrated circuits or ASIC mining machines, reported that its revenue decreased by 82.1% year-over-year to $56.8 million in the fourth quarter of 2022. During the quarter, Canaan sold 1.9 million terahash per second worth of compute power for Bitcoin mining, not accounting for lower ASIC prices, representing a 75.8% decline from the fourth quarter of 2021. Now, at the same time, Canaan's mining revenue improved 368% year over year to 10.46 million. As told by Nanggang Zhang, chairman and CEO of Canaan, quote, to mitigate demand risk during the market downturn, we have been diligently improving and developing our mining business. Our efforts yielded more progress in early 2023 with 3.8 exahashes per second rate installed for mining as of the end of February. Accordingly, we have made decisive investments in bolstering our production capacity and expanding our mining operations to more varied geographic regions that offer advantageous conditions. Despite the segment's success, however, Canaan's net income swung to a $63.6 million loss in the fourth quarter of 2022, uh, compared to a profit of $182 million in quarter four of 2021. Now, as told by Jin Zhang, uh, chief financial officer of Canaan, the loss was due to inventory write-downs and research expenses related to the new fleet of ASICs. Quote, considering very soft market demand and low selling price. We incurred an additional inventory write down of 205 million renminbi, which also dampened our gross margin in conjunction with one time higher research and development expenses related to the tape out. I have no idea what tape out means for our A13 series. Our bottom line suffered losses during the quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, duh. <laughs> for the full year, 
the firm's revenue decreased by 13.8% to $634 million, mainly due to better industry conditions in the first quarter and second quarter of 2022. The firm currently has $706 million in total assets compared to $67 million in total liabilities. If those numbers are true, Canaan, even after all this, is sitting pretty. If that's true, if those last numbers are true, that they have 706 million in total assets compared to 67 million in total liabilities, then they have then they have 90% buffer room on being able to pay off 67 million in liabilities. And you know, and at that level, they probably don't even have to. They can just service that debt. So Canaan, even after an 84% decrease, is still looking fairly tight. The businesses that understand how to run businesses will be the only businesses left after the fire. I guarantee you. Uh, Where are we at? We're at the 30-minute mark. Let's go ahead and run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. Remember in the Bible when Moses turned the Nile to blood? That's what I'm seeing in the markets right now. Oil, West Texas Intermediate down a full, over a full three points to $77.92. Brent North Sea likewise down 2.69%, $83.86 per barrel. Natural gas somehow is the only winner. This is how I know it's market manipulation. 2.26% to the upside to $2.63 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is down 2.79% to $2.71 a gallon. All your shiny metal rocks are dull. Gold down one and a half points to $1,825.70. Silver down 3.67%. Platinum is down 4.19%. Copper is down two and a half. Palladium is down three and a quarter. Agricultural futures do not, or well, yeah, well, ag futures don't look any better. There are three green spots in my, uh, what, eight uh, tickers here. The biggest winner today is going to be coffee, over 1%. The biggest loser today is going to be cotton, down a full two points. And as you might imagine, equity markets not doing well. Dow down a point and a quarter. S&P is down a point and a tenth. NASDAQ is down three quarters of a point. S&P mini is likewise down three quarters of a point. Real money struggling to $22,262.64. That's after almost 400,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours with an average transaction fee of 1.08 BTC, median transaction fee or not fee, value of 0.013 BTC or just under 300 bucks. Block times are hideously low, nine minutes on the dot. Uh, We've got 0.18 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and holy smokes, 28, no, let's just say call it 29 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. Wow, that's a lot of money. And with a 6.81% drop in hash rate, we're at 303.57 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator as normal is Dogecoin, 7.4 United States pennies. There is a $430.9 billion market cap, which is 3.53% of gold's market cap. If you so choose, you may purchase 12.2 ounces of rather dull, formerly shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin uh, of which there are 19,310,806.88 of and 5,402.6 of those are locked in the Lightning Network at $120.6 million being run over 16,267 nodes sporting 76,141 payment channels that we know about and 67.9% of all that's being run over Tor. There are 15,600 transactions waiting on 36 blocks to clear. Uh, Clark Moody still flashing a one Satoshi per V-byte price for getting your blocks in at a minimum fee rate. I know that's not right, so I might as well start putting mempool up, uh, mempool.space. If you want to do this for yourself, go to your web browser and type in mempool.space and you'll get to mempool.space if it ever comes up. 
Oh my God, really? It's just spinning. There we go, finally. It looks like, okay, in this case, Clark Moody is corroborated by mempool.space. Well, no, it just ticked up. It is now two Satoshis per V-byte at no priority. Low priority is 17 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority is 24 Satoshis per V-byte. What else we got left here? Oh, there is a 3.4% estimated difficulty change coming on March the 10th of this year. Uh, Looks like that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We got the five best U.S. cities for Bitcoin enthusiasts. Now, before we even read this, this goes against my grain. I don't believe anybody should be moving into a city. If you can avoid it, don't do it. If you can afford it and you already live in a city, and we're talking big cities, okay? Like, you know, Dallas, you know, Miami, Touchpoint cities, flashpoint cities, high population density cities. Get out, get out, get out. If you can afford it, you know, I don't want to put anybody in a, you know, in a situation where they do this and their lives are worse because it's it's not supposed to make your lives worse. It's supposed to get you out of the shit, especially if shit hits the fan. But even if shit doesn't hit the fan, do you really want to be in the middle of something that is just nothing but pavement? How much heat that picks up? Especially in the, you know, south of the Mason-Dixon line, that shit gets excruciating for six full months at minimum. But if you want to go visit a whole bunch of Bitcoiners, here's where you go. Bitcoin Magazine, written by Jenna Hall. Bitcoin has taken the world by storm since its creation in 2009. In fact, about 46 million Americans own Bitcoin. And as it's popularity grows, so does the desire for those adopting it to utilize it in their everyday lives. As a result, several cities in the United States have emerged as hotspots for Bitcoin enthusiasts, entrepreneurs, as well as investors. Take a look at five cities leading the way in Bitcoin adoption and innovation and what makes them such attractive destinations for Bitcoiners. First up, Seattle, Washington, which is the closest city that I, you know, is mentioned on this list that I'm to. I'm on the eastern side of Washington. However, I could be in Seattle inside of three and a half hours. Anyway, Washington State has a long history with Bitcoin and blockchain technology. In 2018, Wenatchee, a small town three hours east of Seattle, became an epicenter of Bitcoin mining in the United States. Since then, cities in Washington, like Seattle, have seen a dramatic increase in both people and businesses interested in utilizing digital currencies. Seattleites can buy and sell their digital assets at any one of 202 Bitcoin ATMs in the city. Speaking of buying and selling, the state of Washington doesn't tax the purchase of Bitcoin, a unique advantage for Bitcoin enthusiasts living in the state. Oh, so it's tax-free on the sales tax. That is actually really interesting. And I just, I never knew that. Los Angeles, California, as a major center for technology and innovation, Los Angeles has a growing number of businesses and individuals experimenting (coughs) with Bitcoin and other digital currencies. They're also experimenting with homelessness. Some individuals have even been able to successfully pay the rents for their apartments in Los Angeles using Bitcoin. The city hasn't truly embraced the use of blockchain technology, but with many boutiques, restaurants, toy stores, florists, and other businesses accepting Bitcoin as payment. In 2021, the iconic Staples Center was renamed Crypto.com Arena, further further cementing the relationship that Bitcoin and other digital currencies have with the city of Los Angeles. Miami, Florida. Well, duh. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez has made it clear that he's an advocate of digital currencies and wants to make Miami the capital of crypto. In fact, Mayor Suarez became the first American politician to officially take his city salary in Bitcoin. And in a recent interview, he said he's still getting paid this way. I, that's cool. Okay. Every year, the city of Miami hosts several events and conferences for blockchain enthusiasts to attend, including the upcoming 2023 Bitcoin conference, the largest Bitcoin conference in the world. There is also ample opportunity to use Bitcoin in everyday life with the city having around 886 Bitcoin ATMs and numerous shops, businesses, and restaurants accepting Bitcoin. New York, New York. 
With its prominence in both the financial and technological worlds, New York City is a prime destination for Bitcoin users and blockchain companies alike. The city's position as a hub for cryptocurrencies was solidified back in 2015 when the New York State Department of Financial Services introduced a licensing framework for virtual currency businesses, though many Bitcoin proponents have seen this as antagonistic to innovation. Pausing to remind everybody that once the bit license, which is what they're talking about, was dropped on the state of New York, a whole bunch of Bitcoiners took their companies and left. Yes. Still, people living in New York have access to over 179 Bitcoin ATMs and consensus, for God's sakes, one of the world's largest cryptocurrency events was launched in 2015, whatever city, Mayor Eric Adams has said he'd like to see New York turned into a Bitcoin hub, taking the mantle from Miami and reminding people here as we pause that Eric Adams basically lied to everybody when he said that he was, he cared about Bitcoin. He doesn't. It was simply a ruse to get Bitcoin votes because he knows that as a group, we're large and we're generally speaking a single issue voting class, or at least for the moment. San Francisco, California. Oh boy. With San Francisco being one of the biggest tech capitals. Hold on. Trash, trash day. Uh, my sincerest apologies for that. A brief, that, uh, not brief, that abrupt interruption. Uh, I know it was jarring, but guys trash day in cities where they do it once a week and your shit's not out there. You, you don't want to miss it because it really sucks. Which brings me to what I, some of the things that I miss most about Texas. Barbecue, being able to stand outside in the middle of January and do gardening, and alleys with dumpsters. Oh my God, I never realized just how much I missed my alley. I could go throw away my trash any day of the week. And if the dumpster was full, I could go down the alley to the next one. Oh, it was amazing. And now... Yeah, it's those little gray tubs that you have to wheel out to the curb. And I mean, while I'm used to it because I've got a lot of, you know, stuff in Colorado that has to do that and I'm there all the time, I still have never liked it. It sucks. So let's get back to the San Francisco thing. Uh, with San Francisco being one of the biggest tech capitals of the world, it probably doesn't come as a surprise that it's also one of the top cities to live in for Bitcoin users. What? With all the homeless? Really? Whatever. The city is home to many well-known cryptocurrency exchanges that make buying and selling Bitcoin possible, including Binance.us and Coinbase. The San Francisco and San Jose areas boast 474 Bitcoin ATMs and have a wide variety of businesses, restaurants, retail stores, nightclubs, hotels, and property managers that accept Bitcoin. The city also hosts many blockchain conferences and events, including uh, San Francisco Blockchain Week, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, we won't get into the rest of it because it's just, you know, honestly, Los Angeles, okay, Seattle, Washington, I could see. I, just the thought of going to Los Angeles, New York, well, okay, the thought of going to Los Angeles or San Francisco, knowing what's going on in those two cities is really kind of disheartening that it's on this list. New York is always fun. If you don't have to live there, I suppose. Although I know, you know, know of New Yorkers that absolutely love living in New York. But I've been there. It's a great city to visit. But oh my God, I wouldn't want to live there. Miami, Florida? Maybe. But I don't want to live in a city. And again, the, my call goes out to you. If you can afford it and you live in a touchpoint city, see if there's a way to get out, to do work from remote, anything. Don't kill yourself to do it. But if you can, even if you can just move to the edge of the city, then at least do that. But if you're going to move to the edge, look at the history of the growth of the city that you're moving to the edge of and make sure that you're not in the path of the last 10 years worth of development because you'll just get back in the city sooner or later. Now, <clears throat> moving from the United States across the Pacific over to China, China announces plans for new national financial regulator. Oh, joy, they're going to out with the old, in with the new. Savannah, Savannah Fortis from Cointelegraph has it for us. The Chinese government 
has plans for a governmental overhaul, according to a new announcement. This includes introducing a new national financial regulator. I can't imagine why. On Tuesday, March the 7th, the government announced that its current banking and insurance watchdog, the China Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission, will be abolished. Abolished. The responsibilities of this commission will be moved to a brand new administration, as will particular functions of the Central Bank and Securities Regulator. The legislature will vote on a plan for institutional reform on Friday, March the 10th. When in place, the new financial regulator will strengthen institutional supervision, uh, supervision of behaviors and supervision of functions according to the plan. Currently, the financial industry in China is under the supervision of the People's Bank of China, the CBIRC, as mentioned above, and the China Securities Regulatory Commission. This announcement follows a call for reforms for party and state institutions in China from the country's president, Xi Jinping. These reforms will also include a bureau for sharing and developing data sources, which will partly replace the duties of the current office of the Central Cyberspace Affairs Commission. Yes, this is all because of CBDC. Although the Chinese government announced new plans for its financial sector, there was no specific mention of reforms for the crypto industry. However, in February, an ex-advisor to the PBOC called upon regulators in Beijing to reconsider its harsh ban on crypto. It won't. In 2021, China banned nearly all crypto transactions. Nonetheless, the government has been spending millions of dollars developing its own central bank digital currency, the digital yuan. One of the most recent updates on the digital yuan project was the incorporation of a new smart contract functionality and new use cases, including buying securities and offline payments. Oh, joy. On February the 8th, China announced a new state-supported institution, the National Blockchain Technology Innovation Center, to speed up the country's industry via blockchain technology. Yeah, good luck with all of that. Is that the end of the article? That is, in fact, the end of that article. So, there's China's doubling down on its CBDC by completely reforming, this is my thoughts, by completely reforming the way the regulatory system is working and functioning today. Going to completely abolish it and going to completely add or, or reframe the entire thing in a, in a brand new light. And it's all going to be digital. It's all blockchain. It's all CBDC, even though they don't actually expressly say that. China's doubling down. Uh, I wish I had better news for you, but we knew. I mean, it's not like it's a surprise. China was always going to go this route. And guess what? You can look forward to further announcements out of China that triple and quadruple and quintuple down on all this stuff. They're going to force their population to use their shit money. And hopefully, before any of the other idiots in any other federal government decides to follow suit, maybe we'll see just how bad of a situation that will produce. And then maybe the guys up in uh, you know Federal Reserve goes, God, even I don't want that. But we never know. We don't know who the hell's calling the shots, but I have a sneaky suspicion that it's not the people that we think are calling the shots. That's tinfoil hattery right there, but I fully believe it. Martin Young brings us to this one from Cointelegraph. Coinbase CEO hints at new layer two network could include AML measures. Oh, well, that's not a surprise. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong has hinted that the firm's new layer two blockchain network base, that's the name of it, may be subjected to transaction monitoring and anti-money laundering measures at launch. Pausing to say, it, it's not may be subjected, it's will be subjected. This is the way the narrative structure works. First, they tell you what they're dropping. Then they tell you, well, there may be some drawbacks. You know, there may be some drawbacks, but maybe not, maybe not. And then it always ends up, oh yeah, there will. There, it's going to be AML, KYC, there was never any doubt. What makes, me, what makes me wonder is why Brian Armstrong would even have to say these words. Because we all know it was going to be AML, KYC. 
Be that as it may, in an interview with Joe Weisenthal on Bloomberg Radio on March the 6th, Armstrong acknowledged that BASE has some centralized components today, adding that it will be more and more decentralized over time. No, it won't. However, he then suggested that there will be transaction monitoring and AML requirements for users of the new Layer 2 network. He suggested that Coinbase will have the responsibility in terms of transaction monitoring in the early days, adding, quote, I think that the centralized actors are the ones that are probably going to have the most responsibility to avoid money laundering issues and having transaction monitoring programs and, you know, things like that, end quote. Armstrong's comments were also highlighted uh, by decentralization advocate Chris Bleck in a Twitter post on March the 7th. Chris, uh, Chris Bleck says, Odd Lots at the Stalwart directly asked Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong how Coinbase will navigate KYC AML obligations on Build on Base. Armstrong tap danced around an answer. In the last 10 seconds, he hints that there will be some sort of KYC at launch. Wish Joe had pressed for more clarity. So do I. Base is an Ethereum Layer 2 network that offers a secure, low-cost, developer-friendly... It's all bullshit. It is being developed with the OP stack used by Optimism, which will enable high-speed transactions on Ethereum. Base was unveiled on February the 23rd and is currently in the testnet phase. Coinbase has yet to provide a mainnet launch date, but it is expected in the second quarter of this year. Bleck previously warned about Coinbase's latest Layer 2 offering in a blog post released in late February, five days after the firm announced Base. He said that Layer 2 infrastructure was quite centralized because they use sequencers, which are in quotes, which are nodes that construct and execute L2 blocks while transmitting users' actions from Layer 2 to Layer 1, end quote. Coinbase, a licensed money transmitter, will be operating the sole sequencer for base. This raised the question of whether base would also legally require know your customer requirements, making it the first ever L2 to do so. Wow. Jesus, that's that sentence. I got to highlight that son of a bitch. Coinbase hasn't confirmed or denied whether base will be implementing KYC and AML measures. Bleck commented, quote, isn't it ironic that, quote, DeFi is heading toward being controlled by the entities that it was originally supposed to be battling, end quote. However, the massive community and Ethereum advocates have said BASE was a massive constant confidence vote on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Cointelegraph reached out, and no response. Okay, so let's go back to this one. BASE would also legally require know your customer requirements, making it the first ever layer two to do so. It is very clear in my mind what direction and has been. This this didn't solidify shit for me. I already knew this. But if in your mind you were ever going, well, you know, they, they could possibly, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe Ethereum won't go this direction. Oh yeah, they're going this direction. Even their second layers are going to screw you. They're going to know everything about you. They're going to blacklist or whitelist you depending on who you associate with. At one point or another, you know, if you try to buy alcohol with Ethereum on their layer two, layer three, you know, sets, it's probably going to tell it that, you know, tell the system you bought alcohol and maybe transmit that information over to all the health insurance databases. Who knows? I wouldn't trust these guys with, you know, a stick, much less my money. These guys are very dangerous. All of these people are very dangerous. Brian Armstrong has never been a friend of Bitcoin. Therefore, you can just assume that Coinbase is not a friend of Bitcoin. And if you like Bitcoin, they're not your friend either. Now, going, well, let's go to Switzerland. Swiss Bitcoin app relay raises $4.5 million led by Jeff Booth's Ego Death Capital. God, I love that name. BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. Relay, a Swiss non-custodial Bitcoin platform has announced $4.5 million in in funding uh, led by Ego Death Capital. New investors include Timechain, Cabrit Capital, wait, Cabrit Capital and Lightning Ventures while participating firms Red Alpine and Fulgur Ventures are both previous investors. 
In addition to this news, the company announced that Ego Death Capital, General Partner Andy Pitt will be joining Relay's board. Quote, the current bear market is the perfect time to focus on what's most important, building a top-notch product, delivering a seamless user experience, and educating people about Bitcoin as the best savings technology ever invented, said Relay CEO and co-founder Julian Leninger. Our team is hungry for what's ahead, and we have a crystal clear plan that we will execute in the coming months. With Ego Death Capital and the great network around Jeff Booth, Andy Pitt, and Nico Lechuga, we are ready to bring Bitcoin to everyone in Europe, end quote. The funding will go towards further expansion as a retail Bitcoin on-ramp in Europe. Relay currently has plans to add zero-fee trading, implement support for the Lightning Network, and introduce a white-label product that will allow for other firms to offer fiat to Bitcoin trading. Also in focus is the recently launched Relay business platform, quote, We've been really impressed by Julian and the Relay team and their ability to deliver long-term value to users, commented Jeff Booth, general partner at Ego Death Capital. Quote, we believe they will be a key player for European Bitcoin adoption and are excited to work with them. So there you go. <laughs> We're just marching on in this bear market. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's hard to take a bear market. And thank God for these people that deliver these little shining lights of good news in the darkness that you find yourself in. Look towards the light and you'll find your way out. But maybe not for Jimmy Fallon. Tonight's show, Jimmy Fallon files to be removed from the subpoena in Bored Ape's trademark case. Coindesk, uh, Cheyenne Ligon. Lawyers for the Tonight Show's host, Jimmy Fallon, filed a motion to quash a subpoena from conceptual artist writer Rips on Monday, calling the move an unwarranted fishing expedition for irrelevant material. In quote, Fallon is a non-party to Yuga Labs lawsuit against Rips and Rips business partner Jeremy Cahen in June 2022. Yuga Labs sued the duo for trademark infringement, false advertising, and unfair competition connected to the pair's creation of a knockoff NFT collection mimicking Yuga's popular board ape yacht club non-fungible tokens. Though Fallon isn't a party named in the suit between the two men and Yuga, he is a co-defendant in a parallel class action suit filed in California against Yuga Labs and a host, <coughs> host of celebrity promoters claiming that board apes were misleadingly promoted and resulted in financial damage to the defendants. Uh, Fallon has been requested to turn over documents relating to Yuga's cooperation with third parties aimed at popularizing Board Ape Yacht Club's NFTs and any agreements in which a BAYC NFT is given, exchanged, or sold to a celebrity, influencer, or any other public person. Fallon mentioned his own board ape on two episodes of The Tonight Show. Fallon's lawyer, Dana Sessions, argued that the motion should be denied because it places an undue burden on Fallon and the same documents and information have already been sought from Yuga Labs and its alleged agent, Hollywood talent agent Guy Osiri, who was accused in the class action lawsuit of being the broker between celebrities and Yuga Labs. Ooh, broker. Isn't that just another word for gangster? Oh, well. Sessions also argued that the subpoena was procedurally improper because it was signed by Rips and Cahan's lawyers, who apparently is neither admitted to practice law in New York, Vermont, or Connecticut, nor admitted to the bar of the Southern District of New York. Quote, courts in this district and elsewhere have recognized that this defect alone renders a subpoena fatally deficient on its face. Yeah, he's, I mean, if you're not even legally allowed to practice law in the state in which this thing is being brought, uh, then your name is sort of persona non grata. You're sort of not welcome to practice. Like my sister has a law degree for Texas, or she got a law degree, she took the bar, the Texas bar, passed the Texas bar, is legally licensed to perform legal activities on behalf of clients in the state of Texas. If she tries to do that shit in Colorado or Louisiana, she's got to take those bars. 
She's got to prove to the state legal framework that she is competent to operate as a lawyer under their own laws. They understand their state laws, that kind of shit. So this will probably go nowhere, but see, this is the problem with influencers, you know, and, and celebrities like Fallon. Everybody knows he's got a lot of money. You just got to figure out the chink in the armor to get your arrow through so that you can fell the beast, rip his guts open and take all the gold. I mean, if it doesn't happen this time and it probably won't, that does not mean that people who are, I mean, this is what I was saying about those flashes of light in the dark of the bear market. If you are reaching for the light, that means you're trying to get away from the dark. The people that are suing, like the grayscale thing, the, the lawsuit against you know FTX suing them to break the grayscale trust to get into that honeypot, that's people that are still in the depths of the dark. They're not reaching for the light and they will never see the light. That's not what they're designed to do. These are the hordes, the masses, the demons, the, the crap that exists in that layer of hell that is the complete absence of light. And we are in this purgatory right now. All bull bear markets are kind of this purgatory where there is absolute death and destruction below us and there's hope above us. You can choose your direction. You can either go up and reach for the light, the people that are building in the bear market, the people that are acting eth ethically, the people that have proved that they've acted ethically over the years. You can reach for those guys. Or you can cheer for the people that are trying to rip Jimmy Fallon to shreds. I don't like Jimmy Fallon as a person. I think he completely sold out. But whatever. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to bathe in that kind of negativity. So reach for the light. But this shit is going on and it will continue. Uh, finally, this morning, SEC shuts down $100 million crypto fraud in Miami. Matt DeSalvo, Decrypt.co. Another day, another SEC crypto crackdown case. Today, the United States regulator announced emergency action against investment advisor BK Coin, <laughs> BK Coin Management, in connection with an alleged fraud scheme. The SEC alleged on Monday that Miami-based BK Coin Management raised $100 million from at least 55 investors to plug into cryptocurrency. But instead, <laughs> instead, they used it to splash on luxury items and make Ponzi-like payments. One of BK Coin's management principals, uh, Kevin Kang, misappropriated, <laughs> misappropriated at least $371,000 of investor money to pay for holidays and an apartment. Oh, any falsified documents the SEC has alleged. Director of the SEC's Miami Regional Office, Eric I. Bustillo, said the defendants misappropriated their money, created false documents, and even engaged in Ponzi-like conduct. As the complaint alleges, the defendants disregarded the structure of the funds, commingled investor assets, and used more than $3.6 million to make Ponzi-like payments to fund investors, added the SEC announcement. The SEC today said that it has frozen assets and obtained other emergency relief against the company. The commission now seeks pertinent injunctions against BK Coin, as well as Kang, disgorgement, prejudgment interest, and a civil pen penalty from both of the defendants. It also seeks an officer and direct bar and conduct-based injunction against Kang. The SEC has for years taken a very tough stance against the crypto industry. Since 2018, the commission has targeted token sales and ICOs, a form of capital fundraising in crypto as unregistered securities. The SEC, now under chair Gary Gensler, has intensified the crackdown. And Gensler has made it known that he believes that essentially every coin and token other than Bitcoin, is an unregistered security. Many high-profile companies are now being targeted. In January, the commission hit Genesis and Gemini with charges for offering unregistered securities. Earlier this month, it also fined American crypto exchange Kraken $30 million for violating securities laws. Yeah, well, $30 million for Kraken is freaking just nothing but buttered toast. Any idiot can make it. Anyway, <clears throat> That is pretty much going to do it for the morning roundup. 
Dad says jokes. I dreamed I was invisible, and I married an invisible woman. I'm not sure what we saw in each other. Our kids were nothing to look at either. A double whammy. Those are the those are some of the best dad jokes with the double whammy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to support the show, and I love it when you guys support the show, it makes me want to do the show. It gives me energy when I'm doing the show. There have been times when I'm like, man, 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 and nobody wants to listen to that. Give me fuel. Give me Satoshis, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.